Hello, our names are Neil and Bea, and welcome to this week's episode of the Succulent Podcast, where we address everything and anything. Tune in to today's episode as we discuss fat phobia, the body positivity movement, and the controversies with windows. I'm sure most of you will have heard of the body positivity movement by now, which arose sometime, I believe, in the 2010s as an opposition to this diet culture crazed movement where being thin and adhering to Western beauty standards was the most important thing at the time. Essentially, the body positivity movement is all about, well, as it says, positivity regarding your own body, regardless of what shape or size you are. It's saying F you to common beauty standards and saying that we must instead love ourselves just the way we are. On a very superficial level, there is absolutely nothing wrong with the body positivity movement at first. If anything, I will be the first person to really encourage this new mindset that moves away from detrimental shaming into actual positive, constructive, and proactive thinking about yourself. Self-love is such an important pillar, and this obviously extends to loving your own body and the skin that you're in. However, with all of that being said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and unfortunately, the same has applied to the body positivity and anti-fat phobia movement. Many so-called activists seem to also think of themselves as public health officials and medical doctors, and they often spew potentially negative and dangerous things into the public eye, which should not be encouraged by any means. But before we actually move on to the whole health and biochemical side of why body positivity could potentially be dangerous, I think it's very important to distinguish between body positivity and body acceptance. As humans, it is absolutely normal to have insecurities and things that we do not like about ourselves. In a small dose, I would say this is healthy and normal and simply us being self-reflective and thoughtful of who we are, what we do, and how we present ourselves, and also how we treat ourselves. Self-love is a complicated journey, and along with learning how to love yourself and appreciate every part of you, there also comes a time when you have to accept that there are some things that you won't like about yourself, there are things you will probably never enjoy, and that's okay, as long as the proportion of the things that you don't like is far smaller than the proportion of the things that make you love yourself. This is where I have an issue with body positivity, or that is where I start having an issue with it. Many proponents of the body positivity movement, especially on social media, seem to think that the desire to lose weight is never legitimate because it's an expression of the psychological toll of fat shaming. So anytime there's any discussion of personal health or changing your body size, it is always dismissed and it is always given the label of fat phobia, fat shaming, and discrimination. What this turns into then is not body positivity, but rather toxic positivity. And what is toxic positivity? It is essentially the excessive and ineffective overgeneralization of a happy, optimistic state across all situations. And what that does is it results in the denial, minimization, and invalidation of any authentic human emotion and human experience. And this is bad because... It is extreme and radical to say that self-love and self-reflection cannot exist under the same continuum. 
you are absolutely able to love and appreciate yourself while also desiring to change yourself. And these are two sentiments that should be able to peacefully coexist and which balance each other out in a very healthy and proactive way. If you are able to actually be positive and love every part of your body, that is amazing and I encourage you to always keep that viewpoint. In fact, that is utopian and beautiful and ideal. However, for the majority of us, this will not be the case. We can lose weight, we can exercise more, we can gain more muscle, but fundamentally there will always, in many of us, be something about our bodies that we don't like. But that doesn't mean that we have to hate ourselves or that we can't love other parts of ourselves. What this does mean is that we can simply say, I accept the fact that I don't like this, but I will appreciate other parts of myself more. And that is absolutely rational, moderate, and human. And I don't see why this is fat phobic or shameful in any way. The issue with jumping from the radical extreme of excessive diet culture into radical body positivity is that overweight people themselves are actually trapped. It was at first a feeling of isolation because they didn't fit into the artificial beauty standards propagated by diet culture, and then the feeling of guilt for wanting to change. Guilt for both living in a body that doesn't fit the standards and for wanting to change it. And if there is one thing that the body positivity movement claims to do, it's to eradicate shame. And this needs to extend to the people who want to change for themselves. There is nothing proactive or good about forcing people into not being able to change. It is entitled and judgmental and quite frankly, very harmful. A true body positivity movement needs to accept the fact that body acceptance is just as valid as positivity itself, and it needs to take a look at actual self-love, self-care, and compassion, and not just saying F you to beauty standards for the sake of saying that. Now, with the notion of body positivity and body acceptance, we're not saying here that, you know, someone going to the gym should be shamed Uh, because they're not thin enough but at the same time your movement is not productive if it's shaming someone at the gym who in their eyes themselves are trying to make a positive change for their own lives and body it is not productive to say that they're somehow breaching the movement as though it's some sort of cult in losing weight A lot of the discourse um, on the internet about body positivity has turned rather conservative in its own right. It has evolved from having its primary goal be accepting people's bodies to sort of becoming this rather monstrosity of, oh, if you're fat and you want to lose weight, that's against whatever notions we have in this movement. And that's really harmful. Harking back to our previous episodes, we've stated that any time an ideology becomes too radical and too conservative and that it does not allow for any form of dynamism or any flexibility, basically becoming a cult, it loses whatever productivity it had in society. The same goes for fat phobia. Fat phobia itself should not be something you practice. No one should be made to feel ashamed of their own bodies by someone else. But at the same time, it's important that we recognize that being overweight or obese or even morbidly obese 
is a medical condition that has to be addressed. By the anti-fatphobic movement and the health at every size, H-A-E-S movement, which basically says that you can be healthy at any given body size, denying that obesity is a medical condition, you're essentially practicing denialism and being anti-science. And this is one of the few areas, unlike you know, epidemiology and medicine, where we have consensus that obesity is harmful to a person. Besides the general annoyance that comes from being contrarian for the sake of being contrarian, being anti-science has rather harmful effects on society when your message is so widely accepted in whichever circles you practice it in. Think of the church, they started off saying that the earth was the centre of the universe, and then, you know, when actual science was like, actually, no, it's the sun, and whilst that's not accurate anymore, it was sort of more accurate than whatever the church was saying. Now, whilst that did not have large implications for society as a whole, anti-scientific views are also propagated when sort of Poland banned abortions and had massive protests in it. We know that when the fetus or the mother are in danger, it is medically advisable. But by having your religious beliefs override it, you basically are putting human life in danger. So coming back to fat phobia, the same principle applies. When your views go against what is considered the truth, and this is not hand-wavy truth that some authority told us, this is medically, scientifically proven to be the truth, you really need to ask yourself what you're trying to propagate here. Is it really self-love or is it just that you want your ideology be accepted? Exactly. It's a question of are we feeding our own egos or actually doing what is in the best public interest? And moving on to my next point, I'm actually not only disappointed, but mostly just concerned by how much criticism the medical community, such as healthcare professionals and doctors, how much backlash they are getting simply for saying facts and stating that obesity is indeed a health risk. In fact, those of you who are fans like myself of the medical celebrity Dr. Mike will probably have come across one of his videos where he, as a licensed medical professional, that is a medical doctor, has to justify himself for not being fat phobic simply because he said that obesity is indeed a risk factor for bad health. Do people not understand that it is a legal offense if a doctor doesn't inform their patient of a significant medical risk that the patient has? As harsh as this sounds, facts simply don't care about your feelings, and neither does science. Sure, in theory, you can be healthy at any size, but in practice, we see time and time again that people with a BMI over 25 have so many health risks, including atherosclerosis, heart disease, deep vein thrombosis, strokes, infertility, and so much more that we simply cannot ignore these facts in the name of some sort of pseudo-activism. Let's look at cancer, for instance. Would you ever shame a patient for having cancer? Of course not. That is evil and 
just borderline unnecessary and terrible. But at the same time, will you say things like, oh, we don't need cancer treatments. It's okay to have cancer. Of course not. And I don't see why the same cannot be extended onto obesity. Obesity is, generally speaking, a big problem. But that doesn't mean that we have to shame or ridicule anyone who struggles with it. We can offer our empathy, our support, and compassion for those who wish to change without having to undermine the science that tries to tell us why obesity is indeed a health hazard. I was incredibly frustrated to see uh, Cancer Research UK, a not-for-profit scientific organization, being called fatphobic simply because they revealed the links between obesity and cancer. I would just like to mention that cancer research wasn't criticizing a specific person for being overweight, which would be fatphobic. They were simply pointing out that obesity is now the second leading cause of lifestyle-related cancers, a fact that only a quarter, actually no, even less, 15% of the British public are aware of. Similarly, the cigarette smoker analogy comes to mind, and that's simply saying, we are well aware of the fact that Many cigarette smokers can live past the age of 90. Many of them never develop lung cancer. Many of them end up running marathons and being far healthier than non-cigarette smokers. But do you see pride rallies where people light up their cigarettes and people saying, it's okay to smoke, it's absolutely fine, smoke as much as you want? Absolutely not. And once again, I don't see why the same parallel can't be drawn to obesity. I'll just make one last point for the moment being, and that's concerning the criticism of BMI as a tool for measuring health and obesity. First and foremost, whoever is saying that the BMI is a terrible scale of measuring health clearly doesn't know what BMI stands for, and I'll tell you, it's body mass index, and no one in the healthcare profession has ever said that BMI is a measure of health. Never have I heard those words being said, because it is simply not true. Another thing that is not true is that BMI is never used as a singular value to determine whether or not someone is overweight and to determine whether or not someone is healthy. The BMI is simply one piece of the puzzle that may or may not give a doctor a better answer of a patient's overall health. A BMI is also almost always contextualized. For instance, if bodybuilder comes into a doctor's office with a BMI of, you know, 26, which is considered obese, but if the doctor looks at him and sees that he is muscular and knowing that muscle weighs more than fat, he's not going to tell the bodybuilder to lose weight simply because his BMI is 26. You guys, that is not how this works. And of course, we are aware of the fact that it is not an ideal measurement. It must always be contextualized, and you cannot use it by itself to determine how healthy someone is. That's impossible. But you can't just toss it aside and say that it is a useless measure. It is absolutely not. It can be a very useful diagnostic tool when used with other laboratory values and measurements. When did everyone give themselves the credentials of being medical professionals that they can simply spew dangerous information like the BMI is useless? It might not be useful for you as a patient, but you cannot make the same assumption or generalization for any other patient. Furthermore, it is incorrect and dangerous and quite frankly, almost degrading to the medical profession, that activists and people without scientific background suddenly see themselves as pillars of knowledge who know exactly what health risks obesity poses and how effective BMI is as a diagnostic tool.
You don't know, so quite frankly, leave the science to the scientists, leave the medicine to the medics. Indeed, whenever science or even the human sciences come up with a measure for measuring something where so many variables are unknown, never do they stick to one single measurement. You don't just see how healthy a country's economy is by looking at its GDP only. You know, you look at the Human Development Index. You look at so many other things. So why is it when it comes to BMI, somehow those who are not in the field of measuring people's health say that it is a singular messiah value? I cannot stress this enough, but context is everything in anything that you do, and especially when you criticize something or when you analyze something. It's important that you consider which variables you know, which variables you don't know, and which variables you have to control in order for your judgment to have some sort of credibility to it. And that is something that is sorely lacking in sort of the Instagram faction of this movement. And you see, it's belonged to other forms of social media like Twitter and Snapchat, etc., etc. Another point that Um, activists of this movement like to bring up is diet culture. Now, diet culture has, since its infancy, been extremely contentious, and the animosity that some people have towards it is not completely unfounded. It it really is like the Roman god Janus. It's very two faced. On one hand, you have it heralded as some sort of messiah for all weight related issues. Whilst, on the other hand, it is over-scrutinized and regarded as dangerous and worthless. Now, on the one hand, yes, it can help you lose weight. And also, yes, it is dangerous and, frankly, worthless when used as some form of religion. There's a distinction that one must draw between diet culture and diets. Diets are simply descriptions of what you eat. And so guided diets are those where you stick to a certain structured way of eating. For example, you might want to lower the amount of carbs you you eat or the amount of trans fats that you're eating. But most importantly, diets are elements of your lifestyle. And when you stick to a new diet, it becomes an integral part of your lifestyle. And only when it does that do you see it being effective. Now, diet culture's single biggest drawback is that it does not emphasize this permanency of a diet. And I know that that sounds scary because in society, there's this notion that diets are quite temporary. And so when a permanent diet is brought up, it's seen as a very radical idea. But we forget that diet is, again, just describing what we eat. And it does not have to be a radical change that you stick to a new diet. It can simply be lowering your calorie intake by 200 calories a day, and that is technically a new diet. So because of this temporary notion of diet that a lot of people have, they take up diets, stick to them religiously for a certain period of time, and then go right back into their previous eating habits, and then end up disappointed that they've made net zero progress uh, towards whatever goal they had. Here's where the fact activists come in. They capitalize on this notion and phenomenon of people going right back to where they started after sticking to a diet, and they 
you know, they say that diets are ineffective, that there's a societal agenda against fat people, all sorts of stuff. Which is why it must be emphasized. A diet is not just how much protein you're eating in a day. It is also about how you approach the concept of food itself. A good diet is one where you not only get all the nutrients that you need, but also where you're not in severe calorific deficits or surpluses, and perhaps most importantly, where you have a healthy relationship with food. Now, what does having a healthy relationship with food mean? It's not just about getting all the nutrients you need in a day, but it's also about not being in severe calorific deficit or surplus. Basically, if you exercise and burn, say, 2,000 calories in a day, you'll be in calorific deficit if you eat just 900, or you'll be in surplus if you eat, say, 2,500. And, you know, a deficit of 100, 500 calories here and there, that's fine. But if you're starving yourself and your calorific deficit goes to 1,000 calories, you risk being malnutritioned. Similarly, if you binge eat almost every day, and your calorific surplus is in 2,000 calories, you risk uh, being obese, and that's something that shouldn't happen. Also, your diet should allow you to deviate from it occasionally. You know, you go out with friends and eat a hamburger, and that's probably not the healthiest thing to eat, but it's fine when you do it occasionally, and that it's important that you don't guilt yourself whilst doing this. On the other hand, it's important that if you do, you know, eat whatever is not the healthiest, your guilt does not become big enough that you go straight into starving yourself because both of those are roads to eating disorders which severely affect not only your physical health but also your emotional well-being. A less talked-of cause of obesity is binge eating and its more serious counterpart is known as binge eating disorder or BED. Now, bed is characterized by overeating and unsurprisingly causes obesity, but also it causes depression, low self-esteem, and stress. Yet somehow, there's not a knee-jerk reaction to it as an eating disorder, compared to, say, anorexia or bulimia. Also, interestingly, bed was not recognized as a psychiatric disorder until very recently, in 2013, when it was added to the DSM list of disorders. This is also perhaps an indication that overeating and binge eating are more normalized in mainstream media today. But it is just as dangerous as any other eating disorder. So when binge eating is passed off as a coping mechanism, there's a certain level of ignorance to that. Now, we're not saying that binge eating occasionally is a big cause of concern. It's not. Everyone stresses out and eats and that's comforting and that's fine. But when such episodes of overeating gain periodicity and momentum, this excuse doesn't work anymore. If anything, the periodicity of binge eating is normalized by the initial excuses of it helping someone cope, because they serve as precursory justifications, and when you imbibe those in and start believing them on a routine basis, when you do toe the line of having a binge eating disorder, you essentially then start living in denial about it. It should be noted here that as a society, we should aim to reduce the stigma that surrounds eating disorders, be it anorexia and bulimia or, yes, binge eating disorder as well. 
I guess this is the part where we have to recognize how unique, different, and diverse all of us are and how it is true that even if we all had the same exercise regime and diet, many of us would look very different from each other because of our different bodies. And that is absolutely acceptable and true. You know, many factors like medication, mental health, social deprivation, self-esteem, and even genetics play a huge role in how we control and manage our weight. And as we have previously said, judgment is never and should never be considered a constructive approach. However, suggesting that a size extra, extra, extra large is just as healthy as a small or a medium isn't a body positive message either. It's just an irresponsible type of denial, and that is not okay. And this is probably where we should clarify that we actually don't believe that weight loss should be imposed on anyone, even those who are morbidly obese if they don't want to do so, just because bodily autonomy and freedom of choice are extremely important. So if you want to gorge on three kilograms of chocolate and not have anyone tell you off for it because that is your choice, you are an informed adult and you are free to make that choice for yourself. Your body is your own business and that stands. But there is a difference when we actively encourage as a society unhealthy lifestyle choices and deny the health risks in a public space. Once again, this does not promote body positivity, it doesn't promote body acceptance, and it sure as hell doesn't do anything to counter fat phobia. It's just giving the green light to different kinds of eating disorders. Similarly, a lot of body positive activists seem to use the term ableist and suggest that it is ableist to say that people need to lose weight because we are only judging them based on their health and how health suddenly becomes the only important thing about them. I mean, absolutely not. Why is this taken so aggressively and with such anger? Yes, while individual responsibility is hugely important, as a society, we do also have a collective responsibility to, as much as we can, look out after one another and not say lies and not live in denial. It is our responsibility to make sure that people are educated about healthy food and healthy practices. And in my opinion, it should be the government's responsibility to keep gyms open during a pandemic and to make healthy food and exercise more accessible to everyone, including those of a lower socioeconomic background. Healthy food and exercise, I agree, are not widely available to underprivileged people. Hell, I don't think they're made available at all to the underprivileged, and that is something that we need to collectively work on. Body acceptance is a piece of the puzzle into loving ourselves, that is true, but we also have to look at the wider scope of things and actually make health accessible to everyone, and not just the privileged 1%. Once again, no one should be judged or shamed for being the way they are. It is their choice and their responsibility, and as long as they're not harming anyone else, they have the freedom to make that choice for themselves. But with freedom to make choices, as we have said so many times, comes the need to accept the consequences that come with that. And if you are able to do that, power to you, do as you please. However, an individual choice is not a universal truth, and so we cannot say that just because one person chooses to be obese and live that way, that it's okay for absolutely everyone else. Perhaps you are able to love yourself at absolutely any size, and we are not here to shame or discourage that. If this applies to you, power to you once again. However, this must not be imposed as a universal standard on everyone. 
if you feel as though you have to change for yourself because it means you're going to be healthier, happier, and more productive in life, there should never be an ounce of guilt directed towards your way in wishing to change for yourself. Body positivity needs to move towards self-acceptance in which you love yourself enough to want to give yourself the best body, to live a fulfilling life without health concerns that arise from being obese. And we must also consider obesity not necessarily to be the end product of bad eating, but perhaps for a lot of people it could be the symptom of something different, of something bigger and more pathological. And that's okay. In no situation is one scenario more shameful than the other. It never should be. But if it's troubling, there is no shame and no guilt in admitting that, as long as there can be a proactive way for people to change if they so wish to do. I'll make one final point um, about Adele, actually. As many of you have probably seen, she lost a lot of weight and um, sources claim that she is happy and healthy now. However, people being people always have some dose of negativity to spew at this woman. Before she was too fat, now she's too skinny and she doesn't look healthy. And what's even more concerning is how many supposed feminist writers have criticized Adele's weight loss, saying that she is no longer a fat role model for them and that they almost feel abandoned by her. Apart from the fact that this is damaging, selfish, and incredibly entitled of you to say, if a fan or just anyone in general can't accept you for the size you are at, then they're not your friends or your fans or frankly good people to be around. This idea that Adele, or basically anyone, has to stay fat for her brand is just a very damaging and unnecessary message for people. Quite a few people have called for an absence of commenting on her body image and weight at all, and that is probably one of the few things I can definitely and wholeheartedly agree with, just because we know and love Adele for being an incredible artist and a singer, and her body should not be influencing how we view her as a musician. Our experiences with our bodies and our image of ourselves should never have to be tainted by society. And yes, I do feel the importance to reiterate that positivity, that is body positivity, self-acceptance, self-love, and compassion are incredibly important. And you know what? If you are able to live at peace with yourself, regardless of your size, that is incredible. And we are not shaming individual choices. The only thing we are weary and cautious of is this new global societal movement that stipulates that being fat or morbidly obese is okay. Just because this has a widespread effect on people and it influences the younger generations, whereas your individual choice doesn't carry the same weight. That is why it's so different. So on a conclusory note, I'd like to say body fat, medically speaking, is important. It contains fibroblasts, which are cells critical for addressing injuries, and they're one of your immune system's primary response. You know, adipose tissue, which is what uh, makes up fat, stores energy and provides bodily insulation. It, pr it plays a role in hormone production, notably producing estrogen. This is why when you look at the BMI scale, there's not one number and you know, you run with that saying that's healthy. No, there's a range that goes from 18 to 24. It's because we recognize that it's a crucial organ of your body. However, 
too much fat has medically been shown to increase risk of cardiovascular or heart diseases, such as atherosclerosis, which is the blockage of your arteries due to too much cholesterol. Not only this, it also risks developing type 2 diabetes. Increased chances of clinical depression have also been linked to obesity. And that's not entirely surprising given that Adipose tissue is a hormone-producing organ. So no, it is not a made-up sociological construct, obesity. It is very much a medical issue which must be addressed. Also on the flip side, being underweight as a cause of too little body fat is also detrimental. Being underweight has shown to be a risk for osteoporosis and when being underweight stems from malnourishment and eating disorders such as anorexia or bulimia. This can lead to anemia, which is too little iron in your body, hair loss, amenorrhea, which is the absence of menstruation, infertility, and even complications during pregnancy. Your immune system is also affected and you have an increased chance of infection. So it all boils down to something called homeostasis, which is the tendency to maintain an equilibrium, and that is coded in every part of your body. The same applies for body fat. Too much or too little is bad for you. That's all from us for this episode. Thank you for tuning in and we will speak to you again very shortly. Thank you so much, guys. See you next episode. Bye.